episode of the UXR podcast. Today, I'm really looking forward to this conversation with Tom LaRusso, who's a principal user research lead for Microsoft and specifically for Xbox. Now, embarrassingly, I didn't really know about all the rich history that existed regarding research in the games industry until I was many years into my practice. And of course, it makes a ton of sense that to make a great game, you need to do a lot of research. So in this conversation, we talk a lot about the differences between doing research in a games context and doing research elsewhere, his path into doing research at Xbox, and a whole bunch of other really interesting things specific to doing research in the gaming industry. Hope you enjoy this conversation, and I'll see you on the other side. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the UXR podcast. My name is Alec. I'm your host. You may have heard from me before, <laughs> so welcome back. Um, and today, I'm really excited to be joined by uh, Tom LaRusso. Uh, Tom, how are you? Very good. Happy to be here. Uh, good to have you. Um, so, Tom, you are a principal researcher uh, at a company uh, called Microsoft, um, but other, uh, other than working on enterprise software, instead of working on enterprise software most of the time, you work for uh, probably a much more fun division within Microsoft, which is uh, the, the, so the part of it that makes video games, which we all know of as, as Xbox, which is pretty cool. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we love working at Xbox. We joke around that, you know, Windows and Office has users, but we have fans. So, uh, you know, seeing people tattoo with Xbox on their arm, they usually don't see that with Office. Uh, or Windows, even though I used to work <laughs> on Windows, but it's just we just love working at Xbox. It's just such a fan-based uh, part of the company. Well, you got to be pretty pumped about word processors to get you know word tattooed on your knee. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, but I mean the whole Xbox thing. I mean, maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm projecting here, but I spent way too much time in university on video game consoles. Uh, so I can totally relate. I probably spent more time doing that than in class, but that's, that's a story <laughs> for another day. Um, where I'd love to start with this conversation, obviously, you know, principal researcher, you've been doing this for a little while. Uh, you're probably pretty good at it. Um, but we always like to start kind of at the beginning um, and learn a little bit about how sort of you ended up on this trajectory with your career. Um, can you tell me a bit about like how you got started in, in the research space? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you were joking about playing games at university. I've been a big gamer my whole life. Uh, games has always been really kind of a proxy for social for me. So even back in the day of single player Nintendo games, I'd still sit there with somebody else playing them. You know, one of us would be playing, the other person would have the map out, you know, in like a dungeon game. Um, and so, you know, I was going to grad school for human factors and ergonomics, and I found this internship uh, at Microsoft. And the way Microsoft does it is they interview interns as a pool. So they just come on in and we'll interview you and figure out where you go after that. So apparently I had a good interview and someone sat me down and said, okay, you have two choices. You can go work on Windows uh, or you can go work on video games. And I thought, well, I'm obviously never <laughs> going to work on video games. That's not a real career. That's not a real thing. So I should just go do it for a summer, right? Three months working on video games. I was, you know, whatever it was, 23, 24, something like that. So I thought, sure, of course, I, you know, it can't be a long-term thing. And so I jumped in. This was actually a year or two before Xbox launched. We were still making PC games, um, you know, Flight Sim and Asheron's Call and things like that. Uh, and so I got to spend an internship with three months really doing applied research, putting things that I had learned in cognitive psychology and human factors and ergonomics into practice on video games. 
basically with a bunch of uh, other, you know, grad school dropouts uh, or actual grad students at the time who were into playing video games too. So it was just a fantastic three months. And then I just sat by the phone and hoped they would call me for a full-time job as the bubble was bursting because uh, that's kind of when I was coming out of school. Everything else was bursting and I was just like, please, please, please call me. I want to work on video games as a career. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, did they call you? Yes. No, it was great. I got to go back. Um, I, I was also in upstate New York at the time and I knew I loved the Pacific Northwest. So coming, you know, moving out to Seattle was fantastic uh, in the Redmond area. So I just jumped on it and came out. Uh, and then again, I, you know, I joke about Windows and things like that, but I actually worked in games and then moved into a couple of different parts of Microsoft, including Windows, including mobile. Uh, I even left for a couple of years to go work on medical devices on portable ultrasound and then came back and now I've been working on games for a while. So I actually love all parts of kind of applied research and technology. Well, I think this is great because now I can ask you about contrasting the work you do in the game space with, uh, with other research work. Um, you know, I think it, it's kind of interesting to me, you know, I, before I knew about research, I knew about game testing and somehow years into my career as a researcher, I never connected the dots that those game testers back in the day were part of like a research program that was run by researchers. Um, and it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe a five or six years under my belt where I saw, you know, a job posting at like Ubisoft and I was like, mm -hmm. oh my God, of course they have research too there. That's phenomenal. So tell me a bit about what is um, special or different about doing research in vi the video game space. Because there's no way this is the same as doing it for web and mobile, you know, SaaS products. Right. No, it's it absolutely it's a great question. I think the first thing I want to say is, you know, I've been doing it for around 20 years or so. And the two are starting to come together, which is fantastic. So when I first started, they were seen as very different. Um, I think, you know, really one of the special things is you're working in entertainment. And the first thing you really have to get in your head is that people have a choice. So, you know, in our world, we're not just competing with other games or, you know, Xbox versus PlayStation. You're competing with people's time, right? So they can be watching Netflix. They can be playing with their kids. They can be uh, playing, you know, something else, a card game, a board game, or they could be at work or they could be riding their bike. So it's not like, hey, you know, a company bought our productivity suite. These people are sitting down in front of a computer. They're going to use it because they work there. Um, and of course, again, these days, a lot of that has changed because people have more choice. But that's just one of the first things you have to understand is that it's entertainment. It's like going to a movie. Uh, it's like picking up a, one of a thousand books to read. So we take that approach of we really have to earn their entertainment time. We have to make these compelling experiences. Uh, on the game side, which I spent plenty of years on, you are making this creative, artistic, and financial product that you want people to enjoy. You want them to get hooked. Uh, we spend so much time uh, working on the first hour of a game because you need to get hooked. Again, if you're invested in a productivity suite or even an app, um, you know, after an hour, you may be like, all right, I'm just going to keep using it because I know there's value here. But in a game, you can just very easily put it down. Um, and then when you look at some of the platform features, we know if you cannot get to the fun, if you're having a problem talking to a friend, if you can't figure out why your mic is not working, which I think we can all relate to right now uh, more than ever, uh, <laughs> You know, that gets in the way of entertainment. You don't want people frustrated and stressed ever, but you definitely don't want them frustrated and stressed just because they're trying to play a game with their friends. So I think that's one of the first things. You really internalize the fact, and it takes a while, um, but you internalize the fact that nobody has to use it. Um, they're excited to play it. They're invested in playing it, but you, you really have to hook them with the content and then make sure everything else is friction-free. 
it sounds pretty multifaceted. Like it combines the challenges of kind of almost every type of mobile and web product all in one. You have the usability Absolutely. challenges of complex, you know, uh, enterprise software. You have the, uh, the, the grabbing attention and delivering delightful experiences challenges of like consumer entertainment products you have, you know, and, and on and on. Um, how do you think about where you invest research time given that it sounds like everything is something that matters? Absolutely. Right. And I think, you know, and you're talking about the differences as well, but when you, you've got all of those facets of usability, you've got everything that has to do with uh, e-commerce and selling things, right? Cause every game has a store, every platform has a store. Um, I have a very easy time pitching games user research at the moment because of just what you said, if you want to, you know, do applied research in something around entertainment, we have that. If you want to look at toxicity, if you want to look at accessibility, inclusivity, if you want to understand how people experience the light, um, you can, we, we happen to work on hardware as well. Uh, so if you want to look at ergonomics, if you want to look at comfort, um, all of those things, you can jump into applied research. And, and then to your point, where do you spend your time and your resources? So much like any other, you know, researcher working the company, you are trying to understand the priorities of the product, of your stakeholders, and of course of the business, right? So, you know, we don't do research in a vacuum. Um, I love the applied part of applied research. You probably hear me say it 10 times in this interview because I really believe that's what we are. <laughs> and I believe that word is first for a reason. You know, you're applying the research. You're trying to build something that's going to give people delight and make money. Uh, and you're trying to use your research skills to help the team do that. So we get extremely focused um, and we have a nice mix of what we think is, um, you know, from a research perspective, okay, first of all, what is the business trying to do? What does the user want? And then I usually kind of layer on, what do we know the least about, right? So there are some things where it's like, great, we have this research question. It's like, oh, well, we, we know a lot about that. So go give it your best shot. We have a lot of confidence, right? Um, but there are some things like, ooh, that may not be the top priority, but we could be ahead of the game if we could figure that out. Or we could answer that here and it would answer it for 10 people across Xbox or across Microsoft. So it's usually a really good combination of the business goals, the sort of the user needs, the user insights, and then yeah, part of the job that I love is I get some of that autonomy, especially as a people manager um, and a lead to say, yeah, I know that's important, but I'd really love to go spend our time over here because it's more interesting and it's going to help you. Um, I always, again, on the practical side, I always try to have at least one or two things I'm doing for a team that they're not asking me for. Um, I don't believe, you know, as a, as a mature research organization, you just take requests. You kind of look across and you say, okay, they want this, this, and this but I also know they need that and that, and let me figure out how to adjust my resources. Um, and then at the end of the year, everybody's happy, even if they didn't ask for it, if you do your job right. Uh, and you can it's kind of a special pride. And yeah, they weren't thinking that, and they weren't asking for that, but we could go give it to them and kind of move the needle in the way we wanted to move it. So I'd love to, I'd love to dig through a particular example. So I'm currently on an Assassin's Creed binge. Uh, mm -hmm. I was late to the franchise. I only started getting into it probably uh, two or three years ago. And it's it's probably my, my sort of favorite franchise. And one of the things that's really interesting that I was thinking about not too long ago was the amount of information that I need to learn to be successful in the game uh, is staggering uh, from the beginning. So obviously there's things around what do the controls do? There's pieces around the storyline. There's like an environment I have to learn about. <laughs> there are like gaming mechanics I have to learn about. 
there are sort of like, um, you know, the way you, in the, the, the sort of meta controls and like the maps and all these pieces. How on earth do you think about figuring out how to make that first, like you said, the first hour actually work? Um, <laughs> that sounds very difficult. That sounds very multifaceted and that sounds borderline impossible. Right. Well, you know, and again, I think this applies to other areas as well, but the first thing we start with is design intent. So we're really trying to understand what the team is trying to build, but also what experience they're trying to give the user, right? So, uh, you know, I can't talk too much about um, that particular game, but, uh, you know, back in the day, I worked on a game called Rise, Son of Rome, and the team was said, look, this game is going to be all about intimate violence, right? We want them to feel like they are a gladiator, they are a centurion, and they are in combat. We don't want it to be top down. We don't want it to feel like you're commanding an army. We want it to feel like, you know, like you're in one of those big fights in the middle of Braveheart. Um, and so you start with that design intent. And then we spend a lot of time and energy mapping out the user journey and mapping out the types of users, right? So when you think about the first hour, the first thing is you're going to have to show them the fun, right? You're going to have to say, um, you know, what is the interesting things in this game? Doesn't matter if it's open world, doesn't even matter if it's Minecraft. I mean, you're really trying to get them in there and show them the fun. Very often we do things like um, one of the versions of Forza, uh, you know, based on some of our recommendations, we said, look, if you start out in the kind of the most basic, cheapest car and work your way up, that sounds like a great long-term progression. But if you buy Forza and you see the ads and you see the preview and you see the box art, and then you start on the equivalent of a, you know, a Dodge Dart or something, that's not fun. So we actually drop you into a McLaren. Um, we have you do a test race and there's some kind of story like, hey, you get to try this car for a day before, you, you know, it's an exhibition and you, I think in our case, we set the settings on pretty easy. And so you're flying around in this gorgeous car and you get the experience that you wanted. And then they say, okay, great. Now you're going to go get your own shop and your own car and your own career. Uh, and you kind of move up from there. And you'll notice there are a lot of games that will do that. They'll drop you into a dream sequence where you are all powerful and then you wake up and all you have is your walking stick and your wooden shield. Um, you know, uh, FIFA and other sports games do a great job of dropping you into an exhibition game with a really good team before you start anything else. Um, so that's one of the first things is you have to show people the fun. And I call out open world games, which is a huge uh, area right now and just so hot. It's fantastic. But giving users whatever they want to do is great, but we still go out of our way to tell them why they should be doing it, showing them the interesting mechanics, um, and to making sure they understand the fun and the motivation. Um, and to your point with that kind of, you know, tons of information, we hope we can design games that if you don't care about two-thirds of it in the first six hours, you have a great experience. That's actually how I play. I love when I see story mode in a game setting, kind of, you know, hard, medium, and story mode. I jump on that. I don't want to spend 15 hours trying to kill that boss, right? So um, if I don't feel like grinding or finding every artifact or learning everything about the lore, I can go through and have a great experience. Whether it's replayability, the fourth or fifth time, then you care about that information. Or if you're the type of person who's like, I'm, I would never go to level two without doing everything in level one. Um, and so we have, you know, segments, personas, anything you want to talk about, but it's really about that user journey of, a person who has a couple hours a week can play the game. A person who has 10 hours a day can play the game. And we do our best so that some of those advanced features don't conflict uh, and you can still have a good experience. So let's hone in on, on this part. Um, this, you know, that development of that user journey. 
um, or, or maybe it's the refinement of that user journey. What role does research play in, uh, in, the, in the creation of that and making it the best it can be? Oh, absolutely. We, uh, you know, I can speak for our team. Again, we are one of the larger and more mature research, applied research, user research orgs out there and, and definitely within games. You mentioned a few others, you know, EA, Ubisoft, things like that. Um, so we actually spend a lot of time doing research on the user. Now, even the user journey, it's a, it's a really great phrase, um, but very often we're telling teams, okay, it's not about a single user journey, it's about groups of users. So, you know, single player, multiplayer, completionist, um, you know, we don't want to think of a person who starts as a complete noob and then becomes, you know, an esports athlete. <laughs> it's really trying to appeal to all different groups of people because it's very rare that anyone makes that progression. Um, but so we absolutely, we do tons of research, um, both from a foundational perspective, you know, what do RPG gamers want? What do they expect? What do they want from a modern game, right? What are the things they're seeing now that we could try to adapt and use in our games? Um, we actually work quite a bit with our uh, BI, you know, business intelligence, telemetry, big data folks to understand the types of gamers we have. Um, we take that kind of qual, quant, qual and quant approach. So um, we can say, hey, in this game, we have to think about someone who may be picking up an Xbox controller for the first time, right? And we also have to think about someone who's played the last five of these in the franchise, like a Gears of War, uh, and what they're going to expect and what they're going to want. And so it's... It's fantastic, at least for me, where I work, because it used to be when I started, there was one researcher knocking on the door with the designers and the PMs and everything else. Now you're sitting in a room with five people who have research and a PM because you've got market research and user research and uh, the BI teams, you know, the, the business intelligence teams, um, got economists, you've got all kinds of people that you're sitting with that have data and research. So you're usually partnering with two or three different people in two or three of the similar disciplines to understand the groups of users we're gonna go try to appeal to and the ones we're also not gonna to try to appeal to. Um, and so I research think- research is, is a pretty strategic function here. Like it's not, you know, you're from the very beginning, you're helping, I guess the game designers understand, you know, who this game is being designed for and what their expectations are. And of course, later on doing a lot of testing, I'm sure. Right, But it's, it's you're really part of the entire life cycle. Yeah, we're very lucky um, to be able to do that. And very often, you know, the team comes in and they say, we want to make it for these kind of gamers. We want to make it for people who are playing these other kinds of games or appeal to these, um, appeal to these kind of uh, motivations that folks have. And then they'll give us those research questions, right? What are these people playing? What other things are they using, which we always push them to? You know, what are they, use, what are they doing on social media? What are they doing on their phone? Uh, what do they expect, right? Where are they doing it? So we bring just a lot of insight about people's day-to-day -day life, their gaming habits, and their gaming preferences. We don't, I think it's it's not really even reasonable to think, oh, as a researcher, I should go define the audience and tell the team what to build. I think a lot of us try to get there, but it's really about being part of those conversations. It's about sitting in a room with six other people, uh, the creative lead, the dev lead, the engineering lead, and saying, okay, if we're, if we're going in this direction, here's the insights I can bring. Um, and really just, it's extremely collaborative. We try to do as much as we can do up front. Uh, and it's been, it's been very successful. We, we absolutely help our teams understand their users. I spend a lot of time on platform, so it's in the gaming space, but it's, you know, the Xbox operating system, the apps. Um, and you can imagine just how much that's changed with mobile and social and everything else, oh, yeah. even in the last 10 years, right? So it's like, 
what, what, is, what are people doing on TikTok and what is this and what do they expect? And is a 30 second clip now way too long because they're used to five or 10 second clips and how are we sharing stuff and what do you expect to do on your phone versus what you expected five years ago? I mean, there's stuff that we constantly refresh. Uh, Battle Royale comes out, you know, for, uh, for those who don't know, things like Fortnite and PUBG and now basically every game on the planet. Um, you know, you have to go react to that and figure out what do people like about this? As just one example, what people like is you start from a level playing field. So most of those games you drop in. doesn't matter if you've played 100 hours or one hour. You all start on the same map and you go. And that's just a great way for people to just jump in and play. Um, but you have to go understand that and, and see, how that, uh, see how that impacts people and their motivations for why they play those kind of games. That's fascinating. So let's, let's sort of pivot since you've spent so much time in the game space. Um, what are the things that... Um, what are the things that you think the broader research discipline for those that aren't working in games like could take away or could learn um, from games user research? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think I'm, you know, I mentioned earlier around that design intent. And so I think really understanding the experience, the feeling uh, that you want your user to have. We actually talk a lot about memories, you know, we're building gaming memories with people. Um, I'm sure you can remember a few things uh, from your gaming life. I have a couple where I'm just like, oh, either I either tear up or I get the chills, you know, or I think about, you know, just something great that I've done while playing a game. Um, and so I think, you know, the main thing that people could learn is how to really measure that fun or that delight or that emotion. Uh, I actually constantly get asked about that, you know, how do we measure emotion and apps and things like that? We have pretty much earned our reputation on measuring fun in video games uh, and breaking it down in a way that it's not mysterious. Um, it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's not overwhelming. It's really just trying to understand what makes a good experience. Now, in the games world, you can say ease of use and usability, and that's kind of part of it for the menus. But one of the big ones we have is challenge, right? So the major difference between a game and an app is a game should be challenging. Every app, the easier it is to use, the better. Um, but games, you need that right level of challenge and right level of engagement. And then you have to go measure how challenging that is. You want to understand uh, how gorgeous the game is, right? So we've been doing that for years. I think any app, any operating system, any storefront now, I'm sure if there's researchers on it, they are trying to understand that delight factor. They're trying to understand how gorgeous it is um, or what emotions it elicits. Uh, and we spend most of our time doing that in games to make sure that if we want people to laugh in the right space, we want them to laugh. If we you know, want them to be disappointed. If we want something to be really hard so that when they overcome it, they're thrilled. Um, so that's, that's really the first piece. Um, I think going back to the other pieces, there is so much time and energy right now about why someone would pick up a specific game and how to get them in front of their next great game. You know, how do we get you in front of your next great game, whether it's through Game Pass, our subscription service, uh, our store, um, and you realize just how social everything is, um, you know, there's, there's reports out there that say about half the time now is gaming and the other half is watching games. So how do you set up your product and your experience to be recommended to somebody else? In our case, it's streaming, right? See if these is this awesome game and it's just so great to watch somebody stream it. The more you watch somebody stream it, the more likely you are to go jump in and play it or maybe pick it back up if you haven't played it in a couple of days. Um, so where these influences come from, it's not a, it's not a page on the store. Uh, it's not, you know, oh, let me try it. You're, by the time you're playing something, you've seen it, you've read about it, you've seen video clips, your friends have played it, 
uh, or you've watched somebody do it end to end, you've read about it, you've read tweets about it. So I think for the non-game experience, I think people should be doing more and more of that, right? I mean, how do we, how do you move from somebody using a mail app to loving a mail app to recommending a mail app? How do you let somebody demo the great features of a mail app to their friends? Or how do you get somebody who's influential to use and share, you know? Um, so I think there's a lot around social and reviewing and streaming that we are learning every day that I think could be applied to the rest of the industry. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Okay, so, so let me get you out of here on this question. Um, if you have like one piece of advice for a lot of sort of researchers that are aspiring to one day manage cool teams at Xbox, um, you know, what's the one thing that you think they should be taking away and really internalizing right now? Oh, absolutely. I tend to give very practical career advice and even just giving one piece is hard because I have, you know, 10 or 20 that I usually rattle off. Um, but one of my favorites is, like I mentioned, you're really doing applied research. So I think a lot of folks can come out of school or some other discipline or academia and be super focused on the research. Um, my advice is when you get the job and you're doing the research, anything that you feel is getting in the way of the job, that is the job. <laughs> you can bring in somebody who does great research. You can teach them how to do usability and play test. You can teach them how to measure challenge. But your job is a very messy, ambiguous space where you don't have a lot of control over anything. You're going with a team. We constantly use the metaphor of trying to build the airplane while it's in the air. Um, and so you're going through all of that, and all of that is going to get in the way of your meticulously crafted research plans uh, and your amazing methods and rigorous protocols. Um, so as you, as especially if you're new in career, but even later on, as you start seeing these things, you're like, ah, oh, I wish the team would just listen, or I wish the builds would come in on time, or I wish I could you know, get in earlier. That really is the job, to go be impactful in that mess of uh, creativity and personality and ever-changing business goals and the landscape changing around you where something that was a good idea a year ago isn't a good idea anymore, but it's halfway through production. Um, that's really it, to focus on the practical side and not, not be too precious um, about the research or not be there thinking that you're just there to do research. You're really there to build and ship a fantastic experience. Yeah. That's some good advice. Um, all right. Well, uh, I guess this is this is probably where we should end it since um, since we have that good little tidbit right there. Uh, Tom, thanks so much for joining. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, and I'm looking forward to the next time we get to chat. Uh, take care. Thank you so much. That was great. All right. See you next time, everyone. information about our program, our speakers, head over to uxrconference.com to check out all that information and grab your ticket. Tickets are only $99. And if that's too much for you, just let us know. And we're happy to work out something that's going to be more affordable for you. It's our goal to make this the most financially accessible conference in the history of research conferences. And we'd really love to see you there. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And we'll see you at the end of February.